This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. Late last week, the United States Supreme Court issued what I consider to be one of the most consequential rulings for individual liberty, the constitutional separation of powers, and reigning in the regulatory state in decades. Over the decades, there has been a battle playing out in the courts, through various administrations, and at the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers concerning the breadth of the federal government's ability to protect wetlands under the strictures of the Clean Water Act. By the way, you, you might not know this, but wetlands are never specifically mentioned in the Clean Water Act or subsequent laws, as far as I've been able to determine. Yet, the government says they have the power to protect things that aren't mentioned in law. That battle reached a decisive point, I think, last Thursday, with the decision in Sackett v. EPA, a decision I think rivals, if not exceeds, the importance of last year's ruling in West Virginia v. EPA, reining in the agency's ability to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants absent direct congressional authorization. I'm pleased to have as a guest today Bonner Cohen, a friend and colleague of, hard as it is to believe, nearly 30 years, who has covered the various court battles over the Clean Water Act's wetlands protections for decades, and the EPA's efforts to expand its power over private and state property via the Clean Water Act. Bonner, thanks for being with us. Sterling, thank you very much for having me. So, Bonner, before we jump into Waters of the United States, or WOTUS, in general, and Sackett v. EPA in particular, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you came to work on environmental policy issues at the uh, National Center for Public Policy Research and the Committee for Constructive Tomorrow. Well, Sterling, I came to uh, where I currently am by way of a winding staircase. Uh, after graduating from the University of Georgia, I decided that I wanted to do graduate work in international relations. And I, that took me uh, to, of all places, the University of Munich, uh, where after mm, several years, I got a degree in international relations from the University of Munich. That was, incidentally, during the Cold War. And it turns out, not that I planned it that way, uh, that being involved in international conflicts and the striving for political power and the decisions that are made to go to war or not to go to war, to sign a trade agreement or not to sign a trade agreement, that turned out to be much better training for what I'm doing now than I could possibly have imagined back then. I uh, moved to the Washington, D.C. area in 1985, and um, one of the areas that I was drawn to was uh, environmental policy. At the time, I was working on international trade issues, and that led 
uh, to uh, energy issues and the like. And it turns out that there was a certain spillover here, that all of these things are in one way or another connected to one another. And I became fascinated by the environmental movement because I saw things there that I had seen through my study of, uh, of history, international relations, and what have you, specifically uh, differentiating between uh, the, the pretext for your doing something and the reason you are doing something, the manipulation of uh, minds, the manipulation of emotions uh, that have become fundamental to uh, the, the environmental debate that we have today. And uh, that had just taken me to the National Center for Public Policy Research, the Committee for, Committee for Constructive Tomorrow. Now, I have also been very privileged to have written many, many articles for the Heartland Institute over the years. And it's been a fascinating experience. It's not anything that I planned. It's just the way things worked out. And I'm delighted they worked out the way in which they did. Yeah, I know over the years when I uh, when we were printing uh, Environment and Climate News, you wrote many articles for me, some of them on wetlands. <laughs> That's right. And... Uh, <laughs> Wetlands court cases, so that's why I, you know, thought of you when it came time to do this podcast. So, Bonner, uh, please give us some background on the efforts to ex by the EPA and, and the Army Corps to expand the Clean Water Act authority over private land over the decades, and how it played into Sackett VPA by exploring the issues, you know, the background of Sackett VP uh, VEPA in detail. Quickly, by way of background, the Clean Water Act was enacted in 1972. So this is a statute that's over a half a century old. Among other things, the Clean Water Act grants to EPA and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers uh, authority to regulate uh, discharges into navigable waters of the United States. <clears throat> the, that water of the United waters of the United States term, W O T U S or WOTUS, uh, has become the subject of uh, many, many articles, many, many debates. Why is that? Because well, <laughs> before we get to that, I mean, I, I want to yeah. stress something. It it specifically mentions discharges. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no evidence in the Sackett case that there was any discharging going None on. None, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and exactly. it specifically mentions navigable waters of the that United States. That is exactly right. Uh, over time, they wanted to, because they wanted to expand their authority, they dropped the word navigable right. and out went to with, waters. Uh, yep, exactly. Out with navigable, because the Clean Water Act doesn't say anything uh, about how non-navigable waters are to be handled. So, over time, lacking any clear definition, uh, officials at the Environmental Protection Agency and the Corps, and when you had a, an administration in power, such as the one we have now, or the Obama administration, or the Clinton administration, uh, administrations that were very eager to use environmental um, regulations 
to uh, reach a political end, namely uh, the exercise of power, the, the lack of clear definitions of terms in the Clean Water Act opened up an opportunity for uh, the EPA uh, to gradually expand, unilaterally in this case, uh, its power to regulate uh, private land. And it did so by simply, say, by simply saying, uh, we will have the authority to do, do X, Y, and Z. This was particularly important when it comes to wetlands. Now, wetlands can be permanently wet, or they can be wet part of the year, dry as a bone the rest of the year. Even though, as you correctly pointed out in the intro, the word wetlands appears absolutely nowhere uh, in the Clean Water Act and has never really been defined uh, in, ever since we, we, we've had environmental regulations. Nevertheless, uh, EPA took it upon itself, both uh, institutionally and then driven by uh, an administration in power, eager uh, to pursue more power uh, and centralize more power in Washington, D.C., Increased pressure was put on landowners around the country and anyone else who wanted to carry out some operation on, on, on predominantly rural but not but necessarily rural property. That this that having a loosey goosey definition yeah. of what exactly the EPA is entitled to do and not do was an opportunity that was seized upon. And over time, uh, what WOTUS became, what Waters of the United States, what EPA wanted to do was put together uh, a regulatory regime that actually uh, ultimately amounted to federal zoning of private property throughout the country. What's the scope of the wetlands that we have in the United States? Well, if you put them all together, this would be an area the size of Texas and California combined. So you're talking about a tremendous amount of wetlands, and these things are spread through, uh, throughout the country. I, I, I'm Go going to disagree with you a little bit there. Um, I think it's, it's bigger than Texas and California combined, because when I saw the maps under Obama, when, the, when you add in the ephemeral and temporary lands, the, the, the lands that get soggy for a couple of uh, months, a year, it was, you know, on the order of half or more of the continental United States would fall under EPA control. And like you say, it's zoning. It's They wanted to control development. They want to control land use because that's how you control people. Exactly. And um, oh. I think to be fair, as bad as, as Clinton was and Obama was, and uh, and uh, Biden has been so far on this. I think a lot of blame um, uh, falls on the first George Bush, because the first time I ever heard wetlands yes. in relation to federal law was when he made a commitment to no net loss. That's that was his correct. quote: "No mm -hmm. net loss of wetlands." Mm -hmm. That was the first time that the agency really, really went after it. Because the because the president yep. has signed off, that was his goal. No net loss. Well, they were more than happy 
Oh, they were absolutely delighted. Uh, uh, the first George Bush, remember, wanted to be the environmental president. Uh, yeah. Not that he had any real understanding of what the environmental movement and where that would ultimately lead. And you're right, uh, it was he who actually singled out wetlands, which had been largely ignored up until that time, uh, for uh, special treatment. And of course, that was music to the ears of a regulatory agency like EPA, always eager to expand its power. So that that's the or the real origin of the of the thing of the steps, the many steps that ultimately led to last week's Supreme Court decision. Lack of clarity over what EPA can and cannot regulate, lack of clarity and what constitutes quote unquote waters of the United States, the elimination over time of the of the word navigable from waters of the united states uh, essentially meaning whatever epa wanted it to mean and that was what ultimately has led to so many conflicts so many lawsuits so many wasted resources uh, that landowners around the country have had to uh, expend to defend themselves uh, in an, uh, against an almost kafka-esque uh, regulatory regime that you are supposed to uh, not damage a, a wetland on your on your property that may, and this was certainly the case with the second, not be there in any event. And and you know over time, to be fair, the Supreme Court has issued, I think at least four rulings and maybe five over mm -hmm. the decades, chipping away at the EPA's authority. But what would happen was the the court would rule and the EPA would say, oh, okay, yeah, we got it. And then they go back and they write a, a rule that violated the court's oh, of course. decision and, and expanded their authority even farther, trying to frame it as, as science by saying, oh, well, it deals with the kinds of plants that grow on land or yes. the kinds mm -hmm. of animals that you might find in a soggy area that happen to be on dry land as well. You know, so so the court, they then, you know, five years later, another court case would come up and the court would say, you didn't listen to us. So we have to put more restraints on you. And the EBTA said, oh yeah, well this time we've gotten it. And then they go back and write a new rule That's that right. ignored the previous court decision and tried to expand their authority even more. So that leads us to the Rampanos decision. And let's get to the details of Sackett, because Rampanos plays into Sackett. Uh, yes, it does. There was an opportunity uh, in the earlier part of the century, I think it was 2005, 2006, uh, through a Rampanos decision, uh, where we were very close to, uh, at long last, defining what would be a wetland. Um, Judge Antonin Scalia was uh, had come up with a definition, which I think the vast majority of people would say, among other things, is just pure common sense. However, uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy uh, took off from that and said, no, what really constitutes uh, a body of water that uh, that EPA uh, can uh, regulate uh, is one that has a ready significant nexus to a navigable water of the United States. Question, what is a significant nexus? Answer, nobody knows. Kennedy didn't define it at the, at the time. 
Uh, it has gone undefined for years, and bingo, uh, EPA had the opportunity to say uh, in a case that it was it, that it was bringing a, against a farmer, a rancher, a construction company that was trying to carry out work uh, in some, somewhere around the country, no, uh, that the body of water there has a significant nexus. And so what, what all of this meant was uh, more more and more people were con- were going to be continually pulled into uh, the WOTUS ringer, is what I is what I call it, simply because of lack of clarity over the terms. And one and one justice's decision, because what happened in Rampanos right. was there was a majority decision five to four. That's An- right. Antonin Scalia wrote the majority opinion, mm-hmm. and he was joined by. Kennedy, who demurred on one point, how you define the the scope of protection, which was he, right. he said significant, and everyone took his solo decision as being the dominant decision and started running with that. Why? Well, of course, because that understanding expands federal, it keeps federal oh, authority exactly. very broad. That's right. So tell us about the Sackett background and how we got to the Sackett background. Okay, who are the Sacketts? This is a married couple uh, from Idaho who in 2004, think of this, this was 19 years ago, decided they would build a home on a, a property in northern Idaho near Priest Lake, Idaho. Uh, the property in, in question, 0.63 acres of land. The property line is some 300 feet uh, from the lake, and it is separated uh, from the lake by a road and a row of houses and a ditch and what have you. In other words, this is not waterfront property. It is also a property uh, on, the, on which the, you can find no wetlands, whatever. There's nothing soggy unless it just rained or there's snow melt, but, but that's it. So when the Sackers uh, decided they were going to begin construction on their home, uh, they started doing uh, moving some dirt around, and lo and behold, EPA agents showed up and said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that because you are disturbing a wetland. And whereupon the Sacketts looked at them and said, well, what are you talking about? Where is the wetland? The wetland, it turned out, was not a surface wetland, but what the EPA said was a subsurface connection between their property that uh, ran from their property uh, to a ditch. From there, it went into a stream. The stream then went um, around a row of houses, eventually into Priest Lake. That connection, if you want to call it that, was what EPA used to declare the Sackett's property a wetland. And because, and as I said, it's dry as a bone. And so they said, I mean, to, to cut that short, the EPA then said, so you have to get a permit from the Army Corps of Engineers to, uh, uh, mm-hmm. to develop your, to, to build your home. And in the meantime, uh, you've got to restore it to the way it was. You've got to put the dirt back right. on there mm-hmm. or we'll fine you up to $40,000 a day. $40,000 a 
day. And they said you didn't have the right to go to court. You had to go through administrative hearings if you wanted to challenge it, which is. Uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That, so, thus, thus, we go from 2007. Yeah, that's called the rigged game. Yeah, yes. 2007 <laughs> is when this court case started. That's right. And 2013 is when it has now ended. Uh, try in 2023. So uh, it, it's undergone 16 years. And um, the decision, I believe, was handed down in, in 2013 that gave the Sacketts the right to appeal. And that was a unanimous Supreme Court decision. It yeah. was strictly procedural. Uh, it did not uh, pass judgment on what is and is not a wetlands, but it simply uh, restored the rights to the Sacketts to seek judicial review of an EPA regulatory decision that directly affected them. Yeah. But that was just the first hurdle they had to go through. <laughs> that was that was about 10 years ago. Yeah. Now, the decision that was handed down uh, last week, May the 25th, and I, I agree with you completely, uh, this was one of the most, if not the most significant environmental policy decision uh, that has been handed down by the Supreme Court. Why? Well, first and foremost, because it at long last uh, provided clarity to what EPA and the Corps can regulate. It finally said, for instance, when it comes to wetlands, that uh, a prop the property must have a continuous surface connection to a navigable water of the United States, not something that is subsurface that zigzags uh, here and zigzags there. No, there must be a continuous uh, uh, surface connection to a navigable that, water to a navigable <laughs> water yeah, not just not just a stock pond that... not, not, not a stock pond yeah. uh, not a drainage ditch right. but actually a navigable water yeah so uh, uh, to to put it so this was a clear vindication after 16 oh, years mind you years. for the sackets right. right i mean right. they have won they, 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 there's nothing the epa can do now they have won um, but it's, you know, the importance of it is much broader. Oh, far more. And, far more. um, on the, on the, for this, to the Sackett's favor, just to be clear, this was a nine to O decision. Yes. Previous mm -hmm. courts after the EPA lost on, uh, whether they could appeal directly to the court rather than go through administrative work. Um, the EPA said, okay, uh, we're, we're willing to go to court. We still find it's a wetland. And lower courts had said, you're right, under the Nexus ruling, there's still a wetland. Um, now, the Supreme Court has overturned those all those, those decisions. Um, and so tell us, you know, examine why it's so important, you know, the, the breadth of this mm -hmm. decision for private property mm -hmm. rights and, and limit, limiting government. Uh, it's absolutely huge uh, because the lack of clarity over, EPA, over the scope of EPA's authority under the Clean Water Act was a sword of Damocles uh, that has been hanging over farmers, ranchers, uh, other landowners, or anyone else who wants to do something like uh, improve or build a road in, in an area. Um, you can imagine the expense involved for a landowner 
who is told by EPA to cease and desist in whatever that landowner was trying to do on his or her property. Uh, lawyers don't work for free. The Sacketts were very, very fortunate to have had the superb Pacific Legal Foundation uh, represent them over the years. Otherwise, they would never have had the financial resources to carry on this fight. Well, what about other people around the country? They were, they have looked at uh, the accusations made against them by EPA with respect to uh, so-called wetlands on their property. And, and that is something they were simply financially not in a position to combat. Yeah, thousands, thousands of people have been oh, absolutely. stopped. Yeah. From right. yes, from yes. exercising right. their constitutionally guaranteed right control over their property to develop it for houses, That's retirees correct. to develop it for right. houses, right. for right. people to sell it for development, That's to, right. to develop oil and gas, whatever have, have in many cases been completely destroyed because yeah. of this. Now, uh, thanks to the decision that was handed down last week. Uh, Millions of people around the country have been freed from that threat. The EPA is not going to be able uh, to come on their land, declare something willy-nilly, uh, a wetland, and tell them what they can and can't do on their own property. Uh, the, the, just the, the constitutional restoration of private property rights here is by itself magnificent, uh, irrespective of all the uh, resources that are now uh, not going to be spent on consultants and lawyers and what, what have you, that farmers and ranchers and the other people caught up in all of this are now going to be able uh, to take full possession of the constitutionally guaranteed property rights and not have to go to EPA uh, to get a permit to do this, that, and the other. You know, it's... Uh, but no. people, people who own property, want uh, to do something on the on their property, are used to obtaining permits from the from the city or from the county or even from the state. Mm. Uh, getting a permit from the Environmental Protection Agency is something you wouldn't w wish on your worst enemy. It can take years. And bear in mind uh, that the people making the decision on whether you are to be granted a permit or not will almost exclusively be people who have never seen your property, never set foot on your property, but they hold your destiny in their hand. And because of because of who they are, I mean, they, they joined the Environmental Protection Agency often because they were environmentalists first. Oh, absolutely. They are, they, they are predisposed or disinclined uh, in advance to grant you that permit. So you might spend... Hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a permit, only to be so refused at the end of the day. That's right. That's right. So one of the many good things that came from last week is uh, that regime uh, has now been sidelined. We hope permanently by the uh, uh, by the Supreme Court. 
Uh, I'm sure the people are huddling at EPA now uh, in conjunction with their in, in, with their allies on the on the outside. And say, yeah. okay, what are we doing? Trying now? to figure out how we how to get around the ruling. That's now, right. I, I think it's they pretty. Won't, they won't walk away. That's yeah. not what they do no. because they're in this for the power. So uh, they tell you they'll tell you they're doing this for the sake of clean water and a healthy environment and all of this. Uh, that's not why they joined EPA. They joined EPA to ex- exercise power and. One avenue of that exercising of power now appears to have been shut off to them. Yeah, I was about to say, it's going to be much harder for them to do some of the absurd yes. stuff they've done. That doesn't That's mean right. they won't try. Oh, it, no, we, and, we should, and we should be clear. Though it was 9-0 to 0 in favor of the Sackett's particular piece of property, which tells you how bad the EPA <laughs> was in, in rating this as a wetland in the first place. Mm-hmm. For, for the four liberal justices, or the three liberal justices, to join with the majority unanimously and say, <laughs> yeah, you, you, ne- you never, so for 13 years, you were regulating something you had no power over for it exactly. to dictate yeah. that to the lower courts as well, because they were saying as the five to four decision, it was a five to four decision for the broader ruling that, that, that says surface area. That wasn't, a, yeah. that mm-hmm. wasn't a nine to O nine to O was just exactly. on the sackets, right? That's right. That's but, correct. um, the basically it was a rebuke to even the lower courts to say, look, even under the really loosey goosey significant nexus, uh, authority, you know, authority, mm-hmm. this wasn't a wetland. No, 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 <laughs> even, no. even under that really undefined term, there's no way you could consider this land a wetland. It was pure power there. And, right. and, and the liberals recognized this on the court. So, no. Um, you know, of course, this was a revisit of an earlier case, and who knows what future courts will do. Hopefully, they'll be guided by this, this common sense ruling. But uh, you know, you you get a you get a flip of a couple of seats on the court, and they maybe revisit it again. Who knows? Yes, exactly. That can happen. So, Bonner, aside from the legal rank, the the legal wranglings, the court battles, numerous administrations. Uh, the Biden administration only being the most recent one, to be fair, you know, Obama tried to do an in run around um, restrictions with his own WOTUS. That's when they first threw out the term navigable. Uh, the Trump administration after it tried to write its own rules, which which are largely in line with this court's ruling. But still, uh, some of them might not have stood up to scrutiny. Right. Uh, States, various states have sued to block these rules and have been and have effectively done so. None right. of them, none of them ever took place, excuse me, became the law of the land. Mm-hmm. But the Biden administration tried. It rewrote uh, the rules uh, in April. It finalized them. Oh. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, now this 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 court, even as even even though it knew the court was hearing a case, right? It knew the court was hearing a case, and it tried to get its own rule in place, which was basically as strict or stricter than Obama's rule, which right. the courts wouldn't enforce. And so how, where does this case leave the new Biden rule? I think, I think it makes the new Biden rule a dead letter, because the new Biden rule is simply incompatible uh, with the decision that the uh, Supreme Court reached uh, last week. That is why... They're huddling. What do yeah. we do 
now. But I, I think that Biden rule is gone. It's moot. Uh, yeah. And whatever the, the EPA decides to do, and this will be made by the political appointees of EPA decide to do, uh, it's going to be greatly scaled back yeah. from what they intended to do. That's gone, and it and it it will not come back unless, as you said, sometime years down the road, when the composition of the Supreme Court is different from what it is now. Uh, then the other side could say, let's go back and revisit that and see if we can get this uh, overturned. But until that time, uh, they have been put uh, back into their box and they simply are not going to be able uh, to impose their will on the hundreds of, 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 of millions of acres of private land. And believe me, they were licking their chops. And state uh, land. It, it, and, and state and, land. And state land. And state land. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and they were licking their chops to do that. And as I said, that avenue is, for the, for the foreseeable future, no longer open to them. Yeah. The, uh, you know, even Biden admitted this, basically. He blasted the court's decision. He says it will right. leave wetlands unprotected. Our, our water is going to be dirtier. People right. will be less right. healthy. Oh, it's the end of the world. Right. Uh, uh, so even he's admit he, he, he acknowledged that his rule is dead, is a dead letter. And, and Sterling, I would point out, I think there's something else afoot here, that this decision is going to have an effect on another Biden administration initiative. In his first week in office, uh, President Biden issued an executive order uh, dealing with uh, the restoration of scientific integrity and the climate crisis and what have you. Now, one of the sections of uh, that executive order uh, created what is called what is was was initially called the 30 by 30 plan, namely uh, to protect at least 30% of the land and water in the United States by 2030. Now, 30 by 30, not very sexy, so that was later called the America the Beautiful Initiative. But what it is, stripped of all of its pretensions, uh, is a land grab of epic proportions. Either the federal government uh, would purchase land outright with funds, in my view, stupidly appropriated uh, to the administration by Congress, or it could, if it couldn't own the land outright, it could control the land. And one of the ways that the Biden administration envisioned controlling the land was an expansive definition of the scope of EPA's regulatory authority over waters of the United States. <laughs> uh, and now that is out the window. They, again, are going to have to go back and figure out because they no longer have this avenue open to them. Uh, they're going to have to figure out other ways to gain control of, and remember, at least 30 percent of the land and waters in the United States by 2030. So I haven't seen much comment on that. But believe me, that is one of the most important consequences of the decision uh, that was handed down last week. Well, you know, Bonner, um, honestly, I hadn't even, you know, I follow this pretty closely, but honestly, even I hadn't uh, recognized its implication for that. Um uh, you know, to be fair, 30 by 30, we're already not that far off from 30%. I know. I know. Uh, you know, I think, I think the federal government directly controls 
about 23% of the land in the United States with, with military bases, national mm-hmm. parks, national forests, bu- burek land, all of that. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So they didn't have much to go, I think. But um, the I didn't realize the implications for that. Um, you, you know, you've – You've covered this so well. I normally ask a closing question, but basically you've answered the closing question. So uh, I just want to – I guess I just want to have you address the claim because, look, the mainstream media went gaga. And still, I mean, there are articles still being written this week complaining about the decision that was issued last week, which, by the way, tells you they consider it uh, an important and profound decision. It's not just me. I I wasn't overstating this case. No, they're squealing for a reason. They're screaming for a reason. And um, their argument is this sets polluters free to pollute waters justifiably under federal jurisdiction. Is that true? No, not at all. If you pollute a water, if you do uh, put discharges into uh, waters of the United States illegally, if you're a polluter, believe me, you're going to get a knock at the door. This decision last week has absolutely nothing to do with that. The decision last week simply limited the scope of what the EPA and, for that matter, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers can do. That's all it does. Uh, It provides long overdue clarity over the scope of EPA's regulatory authority. It has nothing whatsoever to do with giving carte blanche to polluters in the United States. If you go out and you pollute the Mississippi River or you pollute the Ohio River or you pollute Green Bay and Wisconsin, believe me, you're going to get a knock at the door as well you should. Yeah. Look, not a single navigable waterway will be diminished by this ruling. Indeed. Even many non-navigable waterways will not be, uh, almost all of them will not be, if it's a, a stream mm-hmm. that you couldn't put a john boat in or a kayak, right. it still mm-hmm. is protected uh, because navigable, basically at this stage, it means almost nothing. Right. All it means is that land that is not a wetland, <laughs> private mm-hmm. property that is far from any conceivable navigable waterway, will no longer be regulated. Animal stock ponds won't run afoul mm-hmm. of if you if, if the farmer goes out of farming, fills it in and sells it for development, that's not a wetland that, that is protected by the US Correct. government. Mm-hmm. Um so Bonner, it's been too long since we've spoken personally. Um I hope we do it again soon. And in the meantime, uh, mm-hmm. I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners for coming on the show. I thank you very much for being here. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the wetlands issues going forward and the work of Bonner Cohen and the other analysts at the National Center for Public Policy Research and the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. Please also continue to follow us as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. Also, if you're not already receiving these podcasts either on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye.